We'll be looking at verses 12 through 20. We'll be talking about a left-handed man, Ehud. We have looked at Israel just in our couple chapters here in the beginning of Judges, and they're caught up into what we would call a downward spiral. They're not trusting God. They're not being loyal to God. But they're following after the gods of the people that are already there in the promised land, the Baals and the Ashtoreths. This behavior, this worship of false god causes the true and living God, it causes his anger to burn hot against Israel. God openly tells Israel, hey, I'm a jealous God. I have delivered you out of Egypt with mighty hand, with ten miracles. And God is jealous for his people whom he has brought into the promised land, a land that is a land of plenty, a land of prosperity. And he's angry with Israel that they so soon turn away from him and play the harlot by worshiping Baals and Ashtoreth. Yet God in his own gracious nature cannot turn his back on his people for when they cry out to him, he delivers them, he hears them. He has pity on Israel when they groan because of their oppression. God is loving, God is faithful, and when Israel deserves chastisement, they get pity. How up-to-date is that in your life and mine? <laughs> God's showing us grace and mercy when we have sinned against Him. And so we looked at 2 Chronicles chapter 7 last week where God promises to hear our prayers when we humble ourselves and turn to Him, forgive us of our sins, and even to heal our land. To me, that verse describes... Uh, what our attitude should be towards the world around us that we live in. It also speaks of what my attitude should be towards the living God. As Christians, we can sometimes become what we call armchair critics of our political system here in America. And there is much wrong with America but you know, complaining, smoting of the breast, our cries of alas, alas, that cures nothing. It's counterproductive. Israel had a tendency to murmur and complain, and it made God angry. Remember in the wilderness how they grew tired of manna. They murmured and complained. God sent quail. Quail, by the way, is tasty. By the thousands, they would come in just the right heights where they could be batted down and eaten. <laughs> but 
Israel proceeds to gorge themselves on these little birds, and God chastises Israel while the flesh of the quail is still in their mouth. So how about us today? We complain about the high cost of beef, having to grow beef. And as we grill our T-bone steaks, we complain. I'm just saying. <laughs> For us to pray and humble ourselves before God, that is productive. It is a good thing when we humble ourselves before God. And to groan and complain about our political situation in America, it solves nothing. Last time I took notice, we still live in a country that has great blessings. Now, if the TV sitcoms or the evening news, perhaps movies, if they bug you, turn off the TV and perhaps stay home just a solution. So as we wind our way through judges, we will look at some of Israel's judges that have been raised up as deliverers, some of their heroes. Ehud, the southpaw, that's a lefty, is one of Israel's heroes. So let's look at Judges chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 12. And I'm going to read a verse or two and make commentary and then read a verse or two and so forth and so on. Judges 3, 12, 31. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Israel is quick to do evil. Now, sin in the sight of God is always against him first. Disobedience before God or breaking God's standards is always first and foremost against God and then against others. David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, declares, Against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. And I want to say, time out, David. How about Uriah and Bathsheba? To correct Israel, God has strengthened their enemy, Eglon, the king of the Moabites. Sometimes it's a hard thing for us to understand that God will use evil forces for his own purposes. Without Satan, we would never realize how good God is. So God will use the evilness of Satan to show how good he is. But verse 13, then he, Eglon, gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek and went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. Now the city of Palms is simply Jericho. Verse 14. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 
18 years. Israel is in servitude, heavy taxation, for 18 years, and Israel was a mighty nation. So they're serving a weaker nation and their king, and they have done this for 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Ehud is raised up by God as Israel's answer, as Israel's deliverer. Ehud is in his right mind because he is left-handed. <laughs> Ehud happens to be in charge of taking tribute or tax money to Eglon. Taxes are always grievous. But to hand deliver the money to a detested, super evil, fat king, he was fat, a man living in luxury, and he's in luxury because of your labors, well, it's an insult. Verse 16, now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was a doubled edge and a cubic in length. A cubic was about 18 inches. And he fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. Ehud, he makes this 18-inch double-edged dagger, and we read in Hebrews how God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword, and this dagger is 18 inches long, so it's close to being a sword. And Ehud passes through security check because the dagger is attached to his right thigh. They would only search your left thigh. Why? Because the right hand. The right hand was considered the strong hand. And if you were left-handed, you were uh, trained very early in life to use your right hand. And in fact, in many parts of the world, if your child is left-handed, they will tie that left hand to the hip and make you use only your right hand because it's a right-handed world. And so the left hand was considered weak, and they would not even search the side where you would, if you were left-handed, you would pull a sword. So here we have Ehud, and he brings tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. And it says, now Eglon was a very fat man. How fat is very fat? Real fat. Uh, I'm not insulting Eglon by calling him fat. Scripture calls him fat. He is an evil man also. And he has Israel enslaved, paying tribute to him. Verse 18. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he, speaking of Ehud, himself turned back from the stone images that were in Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And the king said, be silent, and all who attended 
him went out from him. I think Eglon is expecting some sort of bribe to come from Ehud. And although he's very rich and he's king, you know, greed has no bounds. So he dismisses the other people. So Ehud, he came to him. Now he was sitting in the upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Eglon, he has retreated to his private upstairs chamber where the cool breezes would blow. And Ehud, he comes forward with a message from God. Then Ehud reached to his left with his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade and the fat closed in over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly and his entrails came out. Pretty gross. <laughs> Special effects of Hollywood couldn't make this any better. Uh, special effects will sometimes make a boring movie, at least uh, a lively movie, you might say. But Ehud, he buries the dagger in the generous belly <laughs> of Eglon, all the way up to the handle and the fat of Eglon's belly stops Ehud from pulling the dagger out. So he leaves it there. However, entrails do come out. Entrails. Guts. <laughs> Old King James, I love what it says. And it says, dirt came out. Dirt. Evidently, Eglon's guts were dirty. <laughs> I'm just saying. Kind of like when uh, Herod died, King Herod in the New Testament, and he died, and the worms eat him. Now, these are gross descriptions of death to two fat men. When David killed Goliath with a, you know, with a rock to the forehead... He takes Goliath's own sword and cuts off his head. These are descriptions of killing, and they're very vivid, and Scripture doesn't hide them from us at all. Uh, but it's a reminder to us how death can come to the wicked. In the old Wild West... Public hangings were well-attended events. In the Roman world, crucifixions were done on hilltops along roadsides where the public could see the price you paid for breaking Roman law. So crucifixions, not only Jesus, were done in a public place to show the world the penalty of breaking Roman law. And when we read of Eglon's death, it's kind of etched into our minds the penalty of living evil. 
We only have one way to handle any evil sin that keeps us in servitude. Kill it. There's no coexisting with sin. Too many times we try to compromise and live with sin. Put it to death. There's no coexisting with sin. Verse 23, Then Yehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. And when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look. And to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, He is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber, probably napping. So they waited till they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore they took the key and opened it, and there, uh, and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sierra. And it happened when he arrived that they blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains, and he led them. Then he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross. And at that time they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. The good here in Israel, they had rest and peace for 80 years. 80 years of peace. But it did not come until the evil, fat, Eglon was killed. The lesson here is sin must be dealt with in a terminal way. You must kill it. The great deception of Satan to any Christian is, ah, that sin's okay. That's not a grievous sin, and it's okay. Jesus suffered the cross so we could have victory over sin. There's a moral to the story. Be weary of left-handed people, especially if you are fat. Take that one to the bank. <laughs> Even though God used the Moabites and their king Eglon, and he used them to chastise Israel, as soon as Israel cried out to God, God raised up a deliverer in Ehud. Ehud was a warrior. He was a soldier, a fighting man, not afraid of bloodshed. That is a great characteristic that is needed in any soldier or warrior. A soldier that's not afraid to risk their lives for the good of others They're priceless. And if you take that and extrapolate it out, 
That description fits Jesus, the ultimate warrior against sin. Now, we've just come through Memorial Day, a time of remembering our fallen soldiers, etc. And we heard Don the Patriot remind us of what a great heritage we have in America, and we do, because of our soldiers, because we have men and women willing to put their own lives in risk for your freedom and mine. Ehud was a brave soldier, accepting the responsibility to take matters into his own hands and assassinate Eglon. Eglon, king of the Moabites, the enemy of Israel, the enemy of God's people, killed by Ehud. Now, we have had and continue to have our battles here in America against terrorism, against people like Saddam Hussein of Iraq, Obama, uh, bin Laden, and, and the Taliban. And these are proven enemies of not only America, but really of the free world. These men were sought out by American soldiers, and they were killed. And when these evil, murderous enemies were killed, there was rejoicing in America. And if you knew of a family who lost a soldier in Iraq or suffered from some terrorist activities, then you understand that celebration of the death of these evil men. Not only for America, but throughout the world. The whole world rejoiced at the death of Osama bin Laden. Well, all but the Muslim world, perhaps. <laughs> Compared that now with how all of heaven rejoices when one sinner turns from his evil ways. We can celebrate when evil is uh, assassinated here in our world. But how about when one heart turns to the living God and repents? We're told that all of heaven rejoices. When Ehud returned to the mountains of Ephraim, he blows the trumpet calling all Israelis to come and fight. Fight for Israel against Moab. And Israel's troops gather they're led by Ehud, and they kill 10,000 of the Moabites. And it tells us not one Moabite escaped. That's pretty thorough. But not only is there celebration in Israel, but now Israel has 80 years of peace. Two complete generations of peace because one man was willing to serve God completely. Ehud, one left-handed warrior willing to fight for Israel. Have you ever given thought about the peaceful life that we get to live? 
especially as Christians. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was willing to suffer the pain and humiliation of the cross, Jesus did not allow sin to dominate us. We're the most blessed people as Christians because we have not 80 years, not two generations of peace. We have an eternity of peace with our Lord. So today in America and in Israel, in most of the free world, we have many soldiers willing to fight for their country. In America and Israel, we see our soldiers, they're being honored. And many people are giving thanks uh, for their ultimate service as soldiers. We see it at airports. We see it at uh, gatherings. But may we always be thankful and grateful for our soldiers who have paid the price and our warriors, men and women that are courageous enough to risk their life for their country. And here's something we maybe don't realize. Perhaps our soldiers and our warriors will awaken us to the great salvation so freely given by faith in Jesus. Let them awaken that to you. Our freedom as a nation has come at the cost of soldiers, but our peace with God, our eternity, has come by faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, we want to have grateful hearts for the blessed life you have allowed us to live. We want to thank you publicly for sending your son Jesus to the cross to buy our freedom, to purchase our freedom, to give us forgiveness of sin, a cross that he hated, a cross that held shame, but our Jesus was willing to suffer that for us. We thank you, Jesus. We openly praise you and thank you for loving us enough to pay the ultimate price for our salvation. Thank you, Lord. May we always be grateful and have an appreciative heart for what you've done for us. And we read and examples like Ehud and, and this, and it makes us realize what a great Lord we have. Thank you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.